You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. It is a fact or fiction edition of the show, Logan. We're going to take some uh, some thoughts, some of them very commander-specific, some of them more global around the NFL, but certainly apply to the commanders, and discuss whether they are fact or fiction. Seems easy enough, yeah? <laughs> yeah, sounds great. All right, so uh, the first one is is very commander-centric. It is Sam Howell. And there's this myth, uh, or maybe it's a, uh, there's a thought. Well, you'll be able to tell me whether it's a myth or not. It's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about, but you have a much better answer than me. That if the commanders move on from Eric Bieniemy in the offseason and bring in a new offensive coordinator, Sam Howell will be learning a third system in three years. How much would that hurt him is kind of the big question we're trying to tackle um, and you know, it, that would hurt Sam Howell. Like that's a, that's the factor fiction. But I think in that, there's also kind of this sub question I have for you, which is, let's say they hire a Ben Johnson or a Bobby Slowick, someone who runs a West coast based system, which obviously Eric Bianami does as well. How much of a learning curve is that even in the first place to go from one West coast system to another, but factor fiction to be a good host, a, a third system in three years would hurt Sam Howell. I mean, Hurts probably like it's all relative, right? I think I do. I think it affects Sam Howell. Yes. Is it hard to learn an offense? Yes. Is it going to somewhat stunt him? I would say yes. And and the reason I say that is just because there is there is a time period and an ownership that takes place of an offense. And so, like, what I mean by that is, you know, I think he'll know the route concepts. I, I think he's shown that he's a smart guy that he can learn concepts really quickly. To me, I think it's the stuff that takes you from kind of average quarterback to great quarterback that that'll, that'll be stunted here right and so that's the stuff where it's understanding how dagger works versus cover two as opposed to cover three how, how i can manipulate that hook player 
on horn as opposed whatever right that that's the stuff that needs to kind of be uh acknowledged in terms of things that will be challenging and then i think the other element is uh the protection stuff is is been something that he's gotten better at as the year goes on and for whatever reason that's something that takes running backs a long time to learn takes offensive linemen a long time to learn takes quarterbacks a long time to learn so i do think yes it will affect him it could be negative but i also think perhaps if you get a guy in here who's again like maybe a little more balanced like some of those things that um are that are that will be regressed maybe are covered up a little bit better right we're going to run the ball a little bit more we're going to lean into the play action pass more we're going to lean into rpos a little bit more not to say that eb hasn't found things this year for sam but i do think like running the ball like you mentioned ben johnson they run the ball a ton i think they're top four in attempts this year it's part Mm -hmm. of their identity it's part of who they are those are times where again you're alleviating some pressure on the quarterback in, in a more kind of quarterback friendly way. Um, and obviously EB's done that with quick game, with sprint outs, with, um, with some RPO stuff, but there are, there are levels to this. And to me, just looking at it from a thousand foot view, I think the simplest way to kind of correct that is just, yeah, we're run, running the ball more. We're going to hit more play action shots. We're going to be more proactive in kind of a Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, Sean McVay way of finding easy throws down the field. So I think, while there is a challenge to learning, I think there are certain systems um, that can make certain things easier. Like, yes, is he going to have a hard time learning a new system? 100%. But are there systems that are maybe a little bit more quarterback friendly? Potentially. And again, that's something that is that, that remains to be seen. But I do think it's more complicated than saying, oh, they're learning a new offense. It's bad for Sam. Of course, it's going to be hard for Sam. But maybe there's other elements of that system that speak to Sam's skill set a little bit better. I, to go back to the very first thing you said, it's all relative, right? Yeah. To me, the answer to this question lies in a different question. What is more detrimental, learning the new system and the gap that exists there or staying in a system that's not maximizing your player? Like, would you rather be in a better system and have to learn it or stay in an inferior system but have continuity if you do believe this system is inferior, which I am very on record as saying I do the way mm-hmm. it's being run right now, right? So is they're going to be a learning curve to some extent, yes. And I want to dive again into the the West Coast to West Coast thing and talk about what could change from system to system because you've gone through that process sure. in your career. I, believe it or not, uh, never never changed NFL <laughs> offenses. Uh, but I, I think that to your point, like a guy like Johnson has worked so well with Jared Goff because he's taken a lot off of his plate. He's simplified things down. What Kyle has done with Brock Purdy and others out in San Francisco, the way that Sean worked with Goff in those first couple of years that did get them to a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl that they lost, but did get them to a Super Bowl um, early on. Uh, And some of the, like, I mean, what Kevin's done with Kirk Mm -hmm. in Minnesota, best couple of years of his career um, up there. So the the examples, you know, Slowick and with CJ Stroud, like the examples are endless around the NFL. Um, what frankly, what Andy and, and EB was on that staff as well did with Alex Smith back in the day, like they mm-hmm. found a right. way to win football games with not Patrick Mahomes. And so I would rather have a system that really resembles those different systems and have Sam have to learn it, but insulate him more than I would to stay with the current layout. Now, obviously EB could change it. Um, I think that's also something you have to give credit. That's something we've talked about with Eric is like, this is his first year as a play caller. So would he take this off season to self scout self study and ultimately change how he called it next year? Potentially. Um, but I would, I would rather go through the change, uh, personally with that said, let's say they do go to a different West coast system. 
what are what are the the easy parts of that transition? What are the hard parts? Like what changes? What stays the same? West coast to west coast. Yeah, I think people always talk about learning offenses in terms of language, and there's obviously like the you know like the Latin based languages in English, and so like when you're in Spanish class, and you're like, oh, this word sounds a lot like the English word, and then like the yeah. French word sounds a lot like the English word. There is in a West Coast offense. There's a lot of that, right? So you'll be in your install and you're like, oh, we're going to run stick. And they might call it something different, but day one is going to be stick. And we got drag and we got slant flat, which is drag. We got double slants. And they might, again, they might have some different language for it, but at least the coaching points and like kind of the general distribution of the concept are relatively similar. So like when we went from, you know, uh, Kyle to Sean here, obviously there was a lot of carryover and it was really Jay's offense. And so there was some verbiage differences. The protections were a little bit different. The concepts were, there was a different point of emphasis on the concept potentially, but on the whole, it's very, very similar. Then I went from here to Chicago. It's a West coast system. And the, even though the, I've been on record as saying the verbiage there was insanely hard to learn conceptually, the stuff was similar to what we learned when I was with Kyle. It was very, very similar to that, right? Then I go to San Fran and even that, even going from, you know, Kyle to Kyle again, the offense changed and it molds and the, the, the focus is a little bit different. The coaching is a little bit different, but the picture's relatively the same. And so I do think like going from West Coast to West, West Coast, it's hard, obviously. And obviously there's different perspectives from a coaching standpoint, but it's not as hard as going like when I went from Atlanta to Houston, which is again, that kind of new England, whatever that offense is up there, kind of its own tree. It was very challenging for me to learn that because I couldn't, I had no point of reference. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, this is, this looks like drive, but they're not, the reads different, the coaching points different, the, the tight end sits in a different spot. So it's like you're it's like you're going from a Latin based language to a Germanic based language. Like there's no, the crossover isn't quite the same. So I think that's something that I would feel very comfortable is that, yeah, is there going to be a point of transition here from him in terms of learning what the new coordinator or, or even if EB changes what he's doing, like there will be learning this off season for, for Sam. It's just about, I think going from West coast to West coast in my personal opinion is significantly easier because again, there are enough similarities where you're like, okay, like I got that. Like that's okay. I got to tighten my split on this. That's how we did it last year. Or this is the depth and this is the read and it all kind of layers out the same. And again, there's some nuance and some variation, which you have to learn, but I think on the whole West coast to West coast, in my opinion is, um, is much easier. I take everyone back to the uh, vaunted year of 2018 in Washington football history. Ah, yes, that is the Alex Smith to Colt McCoy to Mark Sanchez year. And Sanchez talked about this quite a bit when he had to take over at, you know, obviously uh, Kevin O'Connell had a huge uh, say in that offense as the offensive coordinator, but it was Jay's offense. Uh, but because it was West Coast and it was similar to what Mark had run in New York, Kevin was able to literally translate uh, right. when they were on that short week um, after Colt got hurt. Uh, actually, I think it was the day the, that, you know, when it when it happened in that Philadelphia mm -hmm. game on that Monday night where Kevin would almost call two plays in the huddle uh, or two plays for Mark. One was tell everyone else it's this and for right. you it's this. Right. And in Mark used that like French, Italian, Spanish, um, you know, comparison to say like, you know, it, it, you it's basically the same thing. It's just called something else. Right. So uh, I think that that would be obviously is, is hard because sometimes the worst one is if like, 
there's a similar word. Like I'm learning French right now, for instance. And, sure. Uh, travail uh, in Spanish, is, like one of them is to travel. One of them is to work. Right. Um, in English, it's something similar. And I mix up what it is all the time. And sometimes that happens. And so if it, there's lion in both offenses and you in your head have the wrong one, that's going to cause problems. But if you have an entire off season to work through it, uh, yeah. your coach, and, and here's the other thing too, a coach can learn new language as well. Yeah. And so if, if you have an entire group of players, that's like, we call this lion, it's pretty easy for the coach to make that adjustment as well. One person changing versus, you know, 53 or however many are new. And so that, that is another element of this that I think is, is interesting that good coaches can adapt as well. And instead of just enforcing whatever it is on their players, they can say, what do you guys know? Okay, this is the same thing. We'll just call it what you called it. And that's how offenses, by the way, can mold over time. Where say if Kyle got to San Francisco and everyone knew one thing is one thing, maybe he changed it in his offense right. to be called that to because he could handle it easier than the players changing the entire name of it. Yeah, and I think you know there's definitely a lot of truth to that. And that, I've been a part of offenses where that's been done. When I was in Atlanta, Sark did that. He basically took his offense, which was a West Coast variation, and put it in his in in Kyle's terminology. And I I push back on that. Like this is again, this is we're getting in the weeds here a little bit. I want my mm -hmm. coordinator thinking in his language, and everyone else yeah. adjusts because like I want him thinking about calling the plays and executing that stuff in a language that's appropriate for him. And I, and I you know coordinators are, are smart guys and they can work through certain stuff. And I think to your point, certain certain words, certain phrases, certain concepts will transfer, and that's totally fine. But I, I like the coordinator to be the guy like. We're all learning your perspective. We're all learning your language. Right. But I, I think a good example is that when I went to Atlanta, they called Drive Falcon. And I, no re I don't know why they did that. It was from Kyle's old terminology, but that's what it was. And so you just had to kind of memorize like, okay, Drive is now Falcon or whatever it is. So it, is it hard? Yes. Is it going to be a big change? Yes. But West Coast to West Coast, much easier than West Coast to like Air Coriel. And Sam's already done that. He went from Air Coriel to West Coast. So this should be pretty straightforward for him in terms of like, oh, it's I just got to learn the new concepts, learn the new verbiage. And I think the thing that I go back to is that if this does happen, Sam has shown an ability to get this done. Like he's shown a proclivity for it. And like if let's say, for exam, for example, like Sam had a really hard time in training camp with the offense in terms of just getting the plays out. I'd be a little bit worried because I'm like, he doesn't have a, a, a history of doing this very well, right. but he does. Like he's shown an ability to learn it and get it done. Football is important to him. So while yes, it is significant, it is important, I don't think it's it's the end all be all. And is it ideal? I'm, it's definitely not ideal. But, no. you know. Like I, some people have gone to the extreme of saying like, it's a reason you have to keep EB. And I don't, oh, I I don't think that's that's remotely the case. Well, I think um, that's, I, yeah. I think that a coach has to make a determination of, like it's part of the, the equation, right? But again, it's, you know, is whatever drop off you'll have in lack of continuity worth it because of the upgrade in the relationship in the system. And I'm not saying that like, EB and Sam have a bad relationship, but like the, the football relationship of like, hey, EB hasn't really insulated Sam. Like that's the kind of things that are being evaluated. And of course there is the, I would hope the learning curve is something that is thought about. And it's something that I don't know that this administration always thought about in terms of the time it would take to learn certain things True. for certain players and, and when they brought them in and put them in certain spots. Um, but the, to the idea that it's so extreme and it's such a big deal to go, especially from West Coast to West Coast, considering I think most of the top candidates will be West Coast. Um, that is so extreme that like 
it's crazy not to keep EB because of the continuity, I think is taking it way, way too far. It's way overestimating the task that it is for Sam Howell to learn a new offense. And this is something else that I think is, is important here is like you're, if, if they, if I think we all are kind of of the mindset that there's going to be some big changes this off season. And if you bring in one of these young dynamic offensive minds, you're bringing them in for their offensive mind. And so as much respect right. and as much as I, I appreciate EB, you know, like I've, like he killed, he coached me in college. Like I've got a good relationship. I, as much as I appreciate him, like I don't think you want differing opinions in the offensive room because I think that can be equally as confusing. Like That's I remember awful. when I was in San Fran, um, my tight end coach at the time, who's like one of my best friends from the NFL, he had been in a different offense for a couple of years. So he kept verbalizing Kyle's offense in his old offense and kind of applying those techniques and depths and all that stuff to the offense. And I was like, I don't think this is right. And it was very confusing for everybody in the room because it wasn't quite what Kyle wanted. It wasn't wrong by offensive standards, but it just wasn't a clear one-to-one. And I think I got to point this out too. I think that's one of the reasons why I feel for EB even more in this situation because he didn't bring any of his own position coaches in to help him articulate his own offense. And that's kind of what I'm saying here is you don't want to repeat that same mistake. You don't want to bring in an offensive coordinator and be like, hey, you guys learn the offense I'm installing. That's not fair to the offensive coordinator. That's not fair to the position coaches or the head coach who is going to be probably offensive minded. That's just not fair. So I think in some ways it'd be cleaner just to kind of say, hey, rip the Band-Aid off. This 100%. is the new thing. This is the new verbiage. Here are all the position coaches that are familiar with that. And again, that's not necessarily fair to EB. You had a year to kind of work through a very, very challenging situation, but that's ultimately kind of, you got to think about what's best for the organization long-term and kind of separate it from is it fair for the individual as opposed to is it what's best for Sam and the, and the organization as a whole. And I think that's something that is obviously very emotionally challenging, but I think ultimately would be the right thing is just kind of clean sweep, new staff, and install this new offense as you see fit. And again, I understand that that's very callous. And as if I was a coach, I would hate hearing that. But I ultimately think like if you're building an organization, that's that's kind of what, that's what Josh Harris has to think about. And I think it shows you the right. different levels of things people have to consider in in building a team and building a franchise. Yeah, I mean, if I'm Ben Johnson, I don't want Eric Bieniemy here. And that's not personal to EB. I don't want an offensive coordinator who's got strong opinions um, to, to be able to subvert potentially what I'm doing. And I would go back to, and not that like EB would be nefarious about it, but it, like, like with your tight end coach in San Francisco, like you're just comfortable with something else or you know Correct. something else so well. And so you're like, oh, it's this. And it's like, oh, crap, no, it's not. Um, or it doesn't ma- marry exactly what the, the coach or coordinator wants. Um, so it's not like the soap opera e subversion. It's just like it's hard he, to do something when you've been you've had success doing it a different way. He just doesn't um, know the he just doesn't know the offense the way that you know right. the offense, and he right. he knows and, his and so, thing. Like he knows his thing really really well. Right, and you do, and 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 you have your thing, and you're trying to put your thing in. So that can be it can just be like convoluted, you know. If someone's yeah. teaching in French and you're trying to teach English, like it's tough. And and again, it's not fair. And it's and I have a lot of sympathy for the staff and all that stuff, but um, I think that's those are the decisions that those yeah. are the types of the decisions that need to be made. I wish my French was better so I could make a joke in French here, but I'm still very <laughs> bad at French. Um, I go back again to to like that 2017 ish through 2020, like when Callahan was here, like the the battles that Callahan and Gruden mm-hmm. and O'Connell had were epic, mm-hmm. and it's because they saw offense differently, right? And you know. Jay Bill wasn't Jay's guy. 
like Bill Callahan was Bruce Allen's guy. It right. caused problems. And it's not that Bill Callahan's a bad coach. It's not that Jay Gruden was a bad offensive mind. It's not that Kevin O'Connell obviously was a bad offensive mind or Sean McVay. And there were times that that dissent and those differing opinions was good because it pulled them in a direction that you have a super aggressive and you need it. It's almost the way that, you know, the, the pie in the sky view of how politics works, right? It's like yeah. you have one party that pushes forward and one that's making sure you don't go too fast. And it's like, that works in theory, but like often you're better off just like going in one direction um, and trying to push yourself forward. And so that caused a ton of, ton of problems and that, that's what I'd want to avoid if I was Josh Harris uh, with my new staff. And if I was a head coach interviewing, I'd be like, no, you're not, you're not dictating my staff to me. That's a bad precedent. And I don't think right. Harris uh, is remotely interested in that. Um, real quick on Sam, like how is, how do you think he's done in terms of evolving within this system this year and showing the capacity to learn and kind of where he is at this point in his development as we come out of this bye with four games to go? Yeah, I was talking to John Kime on his podcast about this actually this morning. And the thing that stuck out to me was, you know, he's done some amazing things this year, like really tremendous things, throws, you know, extending plays, playing outside of structure, showing this like really high level ability. And I think the thing I'm having a hard time at the moment is, is, is negotiating that with what I've seen the last two weeks, which has been, uh, I don't even know if it's a regression by Sam. It feels like a regression by the offense. And so we're at a point now after playing Dallas, after playing Miami, where it's like, I don't know where the offense is at. I don't know where Sam is at. And it's making my evaluation of Sam very challenging. So I keep going back to, Oh man, he did these really amazing things. Like he did this, like um, like amazing plays: the throws versus Denver, the touchdown versus New England, like all the 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 completion on third down to Terry, where he's got pressure. Like amazing, like amazing plays. You won't see better throws over uh, over the course of the year. The the throw uh, to tie the game in Seattle, awesome, like just tremendous stuff. But was that? Was that the outlier? And this is what what's real. I personally think that's what's real. Is the good stuff is what's real. But it would be nice going into the off season to have some positive, some positivity around his play and an offense that was playing better. And that's not an indictment of anybody. That's just saying the protection wasn't good last uh, against Miami. The routes weren't good against Miami. Sam made some bad decisions. Like, is EB calling a perfect game? I think he's doing a pretty good job, but it's not perfect all the time. So there's layers to it. And I just want the offense to get to a position where we as analysts, we as fans can finally be like, hey, this is this is who, this is who Sam is and this is what we're excited about and this is someone we can build around. But until that happens, um, it, it just becomes very, the evaluation part of it becomes very, very challenging. Yeah, I think if you had to make the decision today, it'd be incredibly difficult. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think it also is going to obviously depend on how they finish the season record-wise um, and, and what they have. Uh, Michael Phillips brought up a great point with me last Monday on the radio show, which is if Sam plays really well, he's going to uh, really solidify his place in Washington, not only with the play on the field, but if he wins them a couple of games, he gets them out uh, or better yeah. chance that the, the best quarterbacks on the board are going to be gone. Right. Like not just the top two in, in uh, Williams and May, but that Jaden Daniels, uh, now the Heisman Trophy winner, could be gone as well. Uh, so obviously, the farther down the list you go on those quarterbacks, the less likely that guy's going to be better than Sam Howell and worth taking. Um, so that's an interesting thing to watch for sure over these final four games of the season. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Logan Paulson there. Craig Hoffman here. We are back at MGM this weekend for the Take Command pregame show. One o'clock start. So this is this is a fun show for us, Logan. We get to watch all of the games <laughs> that, down there at Tap Sports Bar, MGM National Harbor, uh, in that one o'clock window. And then Rams and Commanders kick it off at 4.05. So... Next big fact or fiction for us. And this is an interesting theory that you were thinking about uh, this over the weekend. And, and I'm excited to talk about this. But the, the, the fact or fiction statement is essentially having a great quarterback hurts offensive coordinator development. Fact or fiction. And you can be <laughs> as direct or indirect with your answer as you want. Because you're you and there's no way you're just going to be like, fact, that's it. That's the second. No, I think uh, it's. You know, I was thinking about it and, you know, you're like, oh, that can't be a fact. But then you start thinking about it and it appears to be a fact. Like when you look at, I was thinking about my time in Chicago and they were just coming off the, um, the OC from, uh, from from Denver with, with Gase and like that, they really struggled, you know? And then you look at, um, everybody that was from the Tom Brady tree. And I think there's other issues there that make it hard for those guys to be successful. But like Weiss, McDaniels, all these guys, they've really, really struggled to kind of, translate that offense to other spots i think bill o'brien has been the most successful one but but he he also also had had, like prime deshaun watson yes right and so i think there's there's stuff there and so what i would say is that it it appears that that starting that elite quarterback makes it really really challenging to develop what i would call like problem solving skills if that makes sense like when you're kyle shanahan in 2010 to 13 like you don't have a quarterback and you're struggling and you've got a guy in Robert Griffin who's very talented, but he's got some limitations. So you build an offense that, that speaks to his strengths, uh, covers up his weaknesses, and you get a very productive season in 2012, right? And I think when you look at him now in San Francisco with Brock Purdy, you see him elevating a guy who obviously people did not have a very high evaluation on, but he's speaking to his strengths covering up his weaknesses. They have tremendous playmakers around him and he knows how to maximize those groups. Like he understands that Debo Samuel is not, you know, Torrey Holt or one of these tremendous route running guys. He's great after the catch. Let's get him the ball in space and let him go to work. 
Brandon Ayuk is is fitting a role for them. George Kittle, again, not this super technical route runner, but he's big and he's fast and he's excellent run blocker. Let's use those skill sets to create separation for him. And so I think when you see these guys who are solving puzzles each week, um, McDaniels is another, uh, Mike McDaniels is a great example of this too. Like everyone thought Tua was washed and all of a sudden he gets there, understands the offensive line's not very good, understands what Tua's good at and builds the offense that, you know, uh, of this West Coast Kyle Shanahan tree. Might, maybe Mike Shanahan is the origin of it, genesis of it, and makes it fit Miami. And it looks very different, but the the undertones are the same. And same thing with Sean when he went to Saint, uh, when he went to L.A., right? And, McD- and LaFleur when he went to Green Bay. They've all kind of shifted and molded and built something in less than ideal situations. And I think that problem-solving ability of not having the elite tools especially in the beginning of your career makes a more makes a more productive like a more productive football mind I don't know if that's the right terminology there well I just think I think problem solving is is the ultimate skill like one of the two to three ultimate skills a coach can have right like right. obviously we've talked a lot about teaching right can you take the the concepts and the techniques that you want your players to execute and actually get those things across in a way that they do that consistently Right, not just be able to explain them theoretically, but explain them in a way that they make so much sense that the players do them correctly on a regular basis. So that is that is I to me the number one skill, right? Can you teach execution basically? Yeah. But what are you actually executing? And it's not the ability to draw stuff up on paper that works with X's and O's. It's the ability to work with your X's and O's. How do you maximize certain things, minimize other things? And it's it's like the the difference, shout out to my guy, Chris Gores, uh, who's my my other podcast co-host uh, on the Train With The Best podcast. But he talks about like how intelligence and knowledge are, are two very different things. Um, or maybe it's intelligence and wisdom. If he was here, he could get it right because he's smarter than me. He's Ivy League. Um, but like one is about knowing stuff, right? You have the right answers somewhere in your head, but the other one is about asking the right questions in the first place. And right. that is the key. Can you actually ask the right questions as opposed to just regurgitate information? And I think that ability is like the 100% biggest thing that that is the difference in some of these coaches where it's like when you have Tom Brady, you just need to have some some answers, right? You just need to have yeah. some information and Tom Brady will do the problem solving for Correct. you. Correct, yes. Whereas like if you have young Kirk Cousins, young Robert Griffin, young Jared Goff, um, older Kirk Cousins, you know, for Kevin yeah. in Minnesota, like he took what Kirk was, which is really good at certain stuff and detrimentally bad in other areas and was like, I know how to get the best out of this guy. And he had the best season of his career and was on pace to have another great statistical year with some wins this year until obviously he tears the Achilles. Um, but, I, and you know, even taking very good talent and elevating it to great. We talk often, uh, because it was right before you got there about Kyle and Matt Ryan, right? Yeah. Can, can you take Matt Ryan, who was excellent and turn him into the MVP that leads you to a Super Bowl that you should have won. Uh, then that's that's the question. And I think that when you have Mahomes who solves so many problems for you, and you go to Sam Howell, if you're Eric Bieniemy, you haven't had to, whether it's there or not, you haven't had to flex, work out, exercise that muscle in a while because Mahomes does all the problem solving for you that it can take a while to adjust from calling plays uh, or to calling plays for Patrick Mahomes to Sam Howell because you don't know even know what questions you're supposed to be answering. 
Yeah, and I think like when you look at the Kansas City offense, especially when, like this early this offseason, I thought there were times, and there's times where we're talking about some of the plays that we've seen. It's like, oh, like this post is wide open. I was, I forget who it was. It was against uh, the Giants. No, it was against the Cowboys. And you're like, oh my gosh, like this CO concept, like that that angle, that deep kind of crossing post yeah. is wide open for a touchdown. And it's not just problem solving physically. It's problem solving the, like understanding the offense. Like Patrick Mahomes has been in that offense for a long time. And if he's in this offense, I'm pretty confident, like 90% confident that's a touchdown for the commanders if Patrick Mahomes is here, right? And so yeah, if you get he, Patrick Mahomes, how much would Patrick Mahomes want the commanders receivers, by the way? Yeah, he'd be pretty stoked about it right now. Talk about that another time, but good <laughs> God, their receivers are. Anyway, yeah, you but, were saying. But I think, I think that that's, that's part of it. And then you talk about, you know, where, where like just executing the offense and working that progression and understanding where the ball's got to go. You mentioned Tom Brady and Tom Brady was able to consistently elevate bad receivers. And I think you look at Bill Belichick now and like the way he's built that team, he's like still building it. Like Tom Brady's there. He's basically saying like Tom Brady will bail us out of this bad receiver group. It's like, well, he's not here anymore. He's not going right. to work through the progression. He's not going to find the best matchups. He's not going to be able to sit back there in the shotgun, elevate protection looks, and and distribute the football football accurately to a receiver who doesn't create great great separation. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. And I think we've seen elements of that from EB this year. But I think like he's learning that skill where like Kyle, Sean, like that whole tree. They that offense. It's funny because that offense, like the the foundational seed of that offense is built around problem solving because they had to in its genesis right. here in Washington. Right. No, that's such a great point. I mean, all those guys were involved in building that 2012 offense that you were a part of that was like, how do we take this incredibly limited but super talented guy in, in Robert Griffin and use his legs, um, which were also like his running was a unique skill set. He wasn't right. shifty. Like he was just right. fast. Like Robert is a sprinter. Sprinters don't change directions. Football players need to change directions. And so it's like, how do we get him in space where he can run in a straight line? Uh, and how do we use his very strong arm with limited, because he just didn't do it at Baylor. It's not like Robert's a dummy. Um, you know, to, to be very clear, like is you, he hadn't uh, had to read defenses in the NFL. Right. Um, and they also like, you know, the pistol stuff they did to uh, eliminate some of the issues that we've talked about when you run from the shotgun. Like there were so many smart ways that they were like, well, this is a problem. How do we solve it? Okay, now that we got that part, what about this plug that we need to, to go in over here? And when you look at the, anybody who's worked at Mahomes and then left, like Nagy, it didn't didn't go very well uh, when he went to Chicago, and now he's back in Kansas City. Um, EB has had a, a severe adjustment period here um, versus like Doug Peterson, who left after working with Alex Smith for Philadelphia um, and had to flex that problem-solving muscle in a major way when Carson Wentz got hurt, and he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And now, obviously, right. he's working with a great quarterback uh, in Jacksonville, but he's having to solve some problems as they're having all kinds of issues down there, but generally speaking, like Doug Peterson, good job. He's had to flex that muscle in a different way than the guys who worked with under uh, Andy Reid with with Mahomes. Same with Manning. There's a long list of because Manning also was like part offensive coordinator, right. so he really didn't have to flex that muscle as much. It was much more collaboration, which I do think is the is the final point I want to make real quick. There is a skill set to working with a great player. And oh, that, it's just I think it's a different skill set. Like it's not like Josh McDaniels is a terrible football mind. He's the right muse for Tom Brady. 
yeah. right? They think about the game in similar ways. And, and going back to our, our discussion in the first segment, like they think about the game in similar ways. They speak the same language. Yeah. They find ways to work together, but it's a very different skill set than what is required when you don't have Tom Brady. And I think that's something to think about to, to spin this back to the commanders uh, on top of obviously what we're talking about with EB, but I want the next head coach here to be someone that has had to do that some. It's why I like Ben Johnson so much. And obviously, look, the Lions yesterday, not very great offensively. It'd help if they didn't fumble the football and go one for five or, you know, two, two, I think two picks, a fumble, and um, they went one for five on fourth down again. Uh, so that's that's going to hurt your uh, offensive hurt output. Yep. But he has turned Jared Goff into a guy that was near the top of the MVP list for parts of the last two seasons. Like, mm-hmm. that's incredible. I want that guy working with Sam Howell versus someone who has worked with one of these elite quarterbacks and then is going to have to plug some holes because while Sam has a lot of upside talent, he's clearly not Brady, Mahomes, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think to your point too, like think about Detroit and like Amon Ra, Amon Ra? No, that's not Yeah, him. Amon Ra, St. Brown. Yeah, yeah, Amon, yeah. Uh, yeah. I get him in his uh, equanimous as his brother. Anyway, yeah. yeah so uh, Amon Ra, like not the most physically gifted receiver of all time, but how do we maximize his skill set? You know, how do we maximize Reynolds, the receiver? Like they've just found ways to fit those guys in their spots and maximize the offense and maximize the individuals. You know, they've got one of the best O-lines in football. They lean on people. They run well, but they also do a great job of schematically elevating those guys. So I think it's, 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 it's problem solving. It's this hunger, like you, like you alluded to, to kind of say, this is what he does well. Like, how do we get this better from him? And I just, I go back to that, um, that piece that we listened to the game changers. I forget who did it. Um, uh, the play callers, uh, with play Jordan callers. Rodriguez. Yeah. yeah. And how they, he, when he was with, uh, Jared golf in Detroit, he basically said like, we want to run all these play action concepts, but golf doesn't see it very well so how do we get to these concepts from a drop back with still while still helping the offensive line out i thought that's brilliant and you've seen shades of that from eb here so it's not like eb doesn't do innovative exciting football things it's just it's just that that problem solving muscle and speaking to skill sets and maximizing the players you have is something that you have to practice and i think with these when these guys work with elite elite quarterbacks it, the the problem solving element is just different and it's not a feature of the offense. Like, you know, I think Bill O'Brien's a brilliant guy. But when I was with him in Houston, like, it's like, we're running the offense. We're running my offense. And Deshaun Watson was good enough at that time. Like, he was really good at that time. Yeah, just that was like, the peak of his powers. Like, I'll break a tackle, I'll skate out of this, and I'll throw a bomb to Kenny Stills for a touchdown. You're like, okay. Like, that wasn't how it looked on paper, but, like, he elevated that and made it happen. So, I think it's – it's there. there is something to, to what I think what we're talking about. We probably need to do, like, a – or a longitudinal look at it, but it feels like you got, you know, when you got bad players, you got to kind of be the, uh, the MacGyver of, of football a little bit. Yeah. And it's not even bad players. If you just have, you know, or, above average players that aren't the elite, correct, um, yes. which is most of the NFL. Um, so that's good. By the way, also in Detroit, just speaking about like the receivers and how they've elevated them. Shout out to your old teammate, Antoine Randall L. Uh, their receivers coach yes. is doing a great job yes. uh, up there. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. 
Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. Uh, wrapping up here with Logan Paulson, I am Craig Hoffman. All right, a few more quick fact or fictions. Logan, we just talked about, you know, elevating uh, different pieces of an offense um, as, a, as a coach. And I think we, by the way, there's probably a whole other segment we could do on the defensive side, like uh, your old head coach, Dan Quinn, what he's done in Dallas yeah. with Micah Parsons. Like, oh, we got this guy who's not good enough to play off ball linebacker. Oh, it's just, he seems to be awesome Russian. What if we yeah. put him there full time? Right. Oh, we have the best defense in football. That's cool. <laughs> um, so like there, there's that element. But uh, I, I think something that's interesting that has certainly been a topic of conversation here in Washington is the offensive line play. And people, sure. you know, fans are like, this is the worst offensive line I've ever seen. And we're sitting here trying to tell people it's actually about league average. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But could it be closer to both than we'd want to admit? Um, Albert Breer, Sports Illustrated, of course, the, the Monday morning quarterback, tweeted something out yesterday that was basically like, I think we're seeing it today um, and with the offensive line play on Sunday and and it's something I've thought for a while. I think offensive line play is down around the entire NFL and Breer's reasoning is rooted in the CBA um, where you don't have a chance to practice with contact in the way that you used to. Um, I saw one of uh, uh, Doc Flynn, uh, who's one of the, like the kind of Twitter doctors she's worked in NFL circles before uh, respond to Breer saying like, if you want more evidence about a third of the NFL starting quarterbacks are out right now due to injury, which tells mm-hmm. you they're not being protected very well. Um, so when you watch offensive line play around the league, like, do you think it's down compared to 10 years ago, uh, when you were playing under the old CBA? I mean, yeah, I, probably, but I also think it's more complicated than that. Like I'm, I'm a big believer. Yeah. New CBA, like it's tough, man. It's tough to just find reps because it's, it's different than, receivers or defensive linemen where you're kind of working patterns and you're in this very aggressive attacking posture it's like i need to work combinations i need to get a feel for how this guy is going to take his steps and what i can get away with from a double team standpoint in pass protection how quickly is he going to be able to get back out to me all those things are things that are working as kind of a living breathing organism as opposed to receivers who i can get cones out you know you're a coach you can put cones out and we can do reactive drills and we can throw the ball and we can talk about coverages and we can get a couple guys from the local high school out there to stand in spots and i can find the zones and it's just there's a there's a martial art element to offensive line play and i just look at i think just don't look any farther than good off good martial artists they practice a lot they hit each other a lot. They wrestle a lot. They do their judo. They do their jujitsu. Like it's a constant process. And here, by eliminating the CBA, it's become it's become way more um, challenging to develop that skill set. And this is the second part of my answer that I think is so important: is now, like back when I first started playing, people didn't rush the passer the way they rush the passer now. Like it's, it's a skill set that has been developed and cultivated. Like you watch these pass rushing coaches, you watch what the Boses do, the Miles Garrett's do, and then you watch what the backups do. And they are so dialed in. Like back when I was playing, like you, you'd be lucky if you saw a spin move, like everyone was freaking out about Dwight Freeney's spin move. Right. And, and that was an amazing move. Right. And he was yeah. an amazing pass rusher. Got him you to know, the hall of fame, hall of fame type guy. Right. He's like, he's a fantastic football player. The reason people were talking about it was because it was a little bit of an outlier. Now, everybody's got this wide array of moves and counter moves and 
and you're throwing the ball more than you've ever thrown it before. So you're exposing these guys to the most, everyone says DB is the most challenging position to play. And I, and I think that's probably true in football outside of quarterback, but offensive line on third and 10, when it's an obvious passing situation, there's, it's hard for me to believe that there's any harder situation than that in football. Like there, like there's really just, it's so challenging. And then all the good athletes end up playing defensive line. So you're getting kind of just this, this clash of cultures and like these big, burly, slower twitch guys that are good athletes in their own right, but much more eccentrically driven in terms of force absorption as opposed to these defensive ends that are like could play receiver for some teams. So I think that's another dichotomy that needs to be explored too is they the evolution of pass rushers is so much greater. The evolution of defensive football is so much greater. Like we would block a four down front and it would, they would just line up in their positions and we would block them. And now you watch Dallas is a great example and they're stunting like every single play. And that is extremely challenging, especially with the limited reps and opportunities. So I think, yes, the off season is a huge factor. No doubt about it. That, that limited kind of exposure is very, very challenging. But I also think that defensive play, especially in the front has gotten way more complicated and way more, um, and the athletes have gotten way better. And I think that's something people want to kind of ignore because of the CBA, because there's like this obvious correlation. And I also think college football too. I know I'm kind of rambling, but college football, they, everyone's running the spread. No one runs yeah. pro style offenses. You don't have to develop that skill set. So you're getting a bunch of guys that are physically very talented, but are not sharpened in the way that guys used to be sharpened coming out of college. Yeah, I would be super curious to go like by conference. Um, and it feels like the Big Ten has a great reputation for alignment. And I feel yeah. like there, for a long time, were more pro style offenses in the Big Ten. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for that, for sure, um, you know, our producer William just you know, put up a great point. Like Iowa for years has yeah. been the place for offensive line play, um, which is also hilarious now because Iowa's offense is like, a, literally a, a joke it's a meme of how bad it is well like wisconsin um, too wisconsin yeah. michigan like ohio state like think about ohio state they had two guys go in the first round last year and the center got dry i mean like they or he didn't go in the first they had two first round talents one went in the uh -huh. fourth the center went in the fifth like there's a reason you go to those places for offensive line play right and so how you know there's some great defensive linemen out of that conference as well so you get some of the the iron sharpening uh iron as well that happens. But, you know, I, I think overall you make a bunch of great points. The, the speed element of training, I think is really important for something this technical. And it's one thing to like practice it slow in a walkthrough with other offensive linemen acting as your defensive lineman. Cause you have, you have time to do that all day with the current CBA. 100%. And that's um, important. That's important. Yeah. No doubt. That stuff is super important. But do you then ever get the full speed reps? And mm -hmm. it's just really hard to get them. Um, and often like, you know, uh, if an OC, for instance, here, like obviously Eric does a lot of stuff with the practices in terms of the script, that was that was a responsibility that was given to him. I, something that I've kind of wondered about the the drop off in the commander's defense this year is like how much of the lack of practice of certain things, whether it's running the football or hey, we need this to happen offensively because we're trying to install this new offense. Does the defense not go full bore um, or not stunt or not this, and then the offensive line doesn't get the practice at it? And then all of a sudden they get in the game and it's like, all right, let's run that thing that we installed and the front does something totally different and they're not prepared for it. So I think that's, that's a huge element. I think the college football point is great. Um, and then, yeah, that, that kind of turn up of defensive line skill is fascinating. Is there, is there a counter offensively, like other than trying to get better athletes to play the O line? Because I guess there's only so many ways you can block and so many techniques. It's not like there's going to be an anti spin move block that gets developed by some freakish offensive tackle that everybody follows in 10 years. 
Well, that's where I think scheme is so important. And I think when you look around the league right now, like San Fran, Miami, Houston, not great, not really talented offensive lines. And I think in Miami's case, kind of a bad group, but you don't know about it because that, I think understanding what's challenging, like I think even Dan Quinn, when he in, uh, in Dallas, like, you know, we just talked about what are the most challenging things to do in football, like cover and pass block. So let's, let's limit those coverage opportunities in Dallas with an amazing pass rush and let's limit those pass, those, those pure drop back pass protections, uh, reps by running a lot of play action, a lot of RPO, a lot of zone read, and let's make it so we're only doing that five to 10 times in a game. Cause you can win five to 10 times, especially if the defensive line doesn't know, like I do my reports for some guys every week. And when we come to Miami every single week, it's like, I don't have a good tell for you about anything they're going to do. And that makes it extremely challenging to rush the passer. Tua understands that too. He gets the ball out faster than anybody in the league. That's again, they've built, they've built everything in, in there to insulate that group. They've got fast receivers. They've got explosive playmakers. They can run these little screens and bubbles. Ball can get out quick because that's challenging. And you would never know that that's bad offensive line play. You would never know unless you went and like poured through the metrics. Like I do every single week, like, because it's not a storyline in the NFL. Same thing with San Fran. Their offensive line outside of Trent Williams is playing worse than it's played in like the last five or six years. But you don't know about it because their offense is crazy productive because Kyle does a good job of knowing the hardest thing, the lim- the rate limiter for the offense is the offensive line. And so if you look at Philly, they run a ton of drop back. They've got the best offensive line in football. They can get away with that. But it's right. hard to find five studs. Like think about it. Like Lane Johnson, when Nick Bosa plays Lane Johnson, like – it doesn't matter. Lane Johnson's a race or Nick Bosa's a race from the game because he's just that good athletically, but it's hard to find five guys like that. And I think that's one of the beauties of what McDaniels did in Miami and to give him some credit is he said, it's hard to find five big athletic studs to play offensive line, but you know what we can do? We can find a couple really fast wide receivers and speak to our quarterback, getting the ball out of his hand quickly. And then no one talks about our offensive line anymore. And I think right. that's, that's where I think offensive minds just in general in the NFL need to bring more awareness is like, that's the hardest thing in this offense running back. Nah, you can find running backs, receivers, hard to find five big studs. And I think, um, Philly is about as close as you're going to get in the NFL right now. D- Detroit, yeah. maybe also, I think that's something else we got to call attention to Detroit's offensive line at the moment. is very, very good because they've invested, they've hit on picks, they've developed guys, but, um, it, to your point, it's the type of athlete on the offensive line that leads to offensive line production. You know, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you get a Panay Sewell out there, you get oh, a Trent yeah. Williams and it cho- totally changes. Like that's the thing too. If you can get one stud, it changes everything else you do right. because if you can rely rely on one person to win one-on-one, how you devote the other four plus Correct. your backs and tight ends, the 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 numbers change dramatically. Correct. Uh all right. That is our show for today. Now, Logan just talked about doing reports and he sounds very smart because he is very smart. But could he be an NFL coach? Uh, just like tomorrow, step into it. That's going to be take five tomorrow. Uh, we'll see you then for that. And then uh, we should have a guest on Thursday. Pretty pumped for this. Uh, we haven't 100% locked it in, but we're hoping to be talking NFL draft on Thursday as well as previewing the Rams. So we'll see you then. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of it here on Take Command.